Mac Power Users, episode 425. Take a look at your browser. Hey, everybody, it's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. You know, it's been a long time since we really went deep on browsers on the Mac Power Users, and it's it's really your window to the Internet on your computers and your iOS devices. So we thought it'd be time to go back and take a look at what browsers we like, which ones we don't like, and what we're doing with them. And, you know, more and more people are living in their web browser apps. Steve Jobs once famously, you know, we launched the uh, the uh, iPhone without any apps and web apps were supposed to be the sweet solution. And although I certainly cannot imagine iOS without apps, I feel like for for laptops and for desktops on on the Mac, for many things, we've kind of come full circle on that. And we're starting to see more and more software and services that we use go to the cloud. It, it solves the cross-platform thing. And our browsers are the gateway to these software and services platforms. I agree. And, and there's a lot to talk about on that. But before we do, I just wanted to take a minute to thank you, dear listener, for listening to the show and make a request. Uh, we don't do this very often on the show. But uh, if you have a minute, if you would take the time to go on iTunes and give us a review, we would really appreciate it. Uh, it's one of the best ways we find new listeners. And we do hear from new listeners all the time that found us uh, through a search in iTunes. They saw the good reviews and they decided to give the show a try and now they're hooked. So uh, we would really appreciate it if you took the time to do that. I, like I said, we don't want to do this too often. We don't want to bother you too much, but we put a lot of work in the show and, and we want to find some new listeners all the time. So uh, if you took a minute to go in iTunes this week and give us a review, we would be very thankful. And even if you don't use the Apple Podcasts app, um, a lot of uh, Apple kind of maintains the directory that a lot of other places search. So having more and higher star reviews in the iTunes directory helps us um, filter to the top and and become more relevant throughout the kind of the entire podcast directory that that feeds. So even if you don't use iTunes, it still helps. Yeah. So um, make me and Katie happy. Uh, make our egos super big. I want to be able to not fit through the door by the next time we record. Uh, so go spend some time and give us a review. Well, since I started out talking a little bit about how browsers have become more important on the Mac, particularly because we're starting to use it more for software and services that have gone to the cloud, it seems like a good place to start would be talking about browsers on the Mac. I, I think the point you made uh, in the intro to the show is one to emphasize that platform stuff doesn't matter as much because of the internet. You know, back in the old days when it was Mac versus PC, it was really a question of, you know, what software can you run on each platform? And if they didn't have the app you needed, you had a problem. But these days, a lot of the best software runs on the internet and it runs through your browser and it doesn't matter which machine you are using to access it then. I'd argue in that way, it makes it a lot easier for people who've wanted to use a Mac in the past to be able to use one now. And I will tell you, my primary browser on the Mac is Safari and has been for a long time. What What is your primary browser? Yeah, and we, we, we're in agreement uh, for the purpose of the show. Unfortunately, it's not one where we can argue back and forth. But uh, I do feel like there's a lot to talk about with the other browsers. But I, I will tell you that Chrome is a pretty strong second, though, for me. So I feel like I can talk quite a bit about Chrome. 
Yeah. And I use that one all the time, along with a few others. Uh, and we're going to talk about, you know, the circumstances where we go to others. But uh, I think the the primary reason I use Safari to begin with is um, that, you know, it's the Apple browser. It's integrated into the system so well. And and this really bleeds over into the iPhone and iPad as well, because I spend so much time on those devices. But because it's Safari, it has an unfair advantage. I mean, because it's from Apple. Well, and really, particularly if you're going to be going back and forth between Mac and, and iOS, and, and we'll talk more about browsers and iOS later, but you're really pushed into using Safari on iOS. And because Safari on the Mac blends and syncs so well with Safari on iOS, there's a lot of incentive to use Safari on the Mac. And Safari, just because it's native to the Apple ecosystem, works with all of Apple's software and services so well. It, it has a lot of features that the other browsers can't do. It, it has iCloud bookmark support. Everything just syncs between all of your devices. It has the, um, the iCloud, um, the, the feature, I think it's still basically filled uh, in iCloud bookmarks, but not only do your bookmarks sync, but if you have tabs open in, in one browser, they'll sync across all of your devices as well. And that can be great when you're browsing something to say, I thought I was just looking at this. Oh, yeah, it was on my other device. Yeah. OK. So and to access that, they do it differently on the Mac and on iOS. If you go to your bookmarks on iOS and just drag to the bottom, you'll see the various tabs you have open on your other devices. And on the Mac, I believe it is with the little bookmark button on the sidebar. No, it isn't. Where, where do you access it on the Mac? Well, in the Mac, I have a button in my toolbar. That's a picture of a little cloud and it says iCloud tabs. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Right yeah. now I can see what I'm looking at on my um, my phone and on my iPad. I use that feature all the time on iOS, not as much on the Mac, but it is nice to be able you know, to go between the different hardware devices and get right back where you left off. Yeah. And the other thing they have is not only the shared um, tab information, but they also have a shared history. So right now I was I was browsing one of my favorite clothing stores was having a big sale and I did all of that all that purchasing from my iPad and as I'm looking now in my history sitting here on my Mac desktop I can see everything that I was looking at on my iPad yesterday right here in my history on my Mac. So it's nice it's a great feature but we could also maybe tell people uh heads up because especially if you share accounts and shared devices, if you have a shared Apple ID, be aware that uh, your browsing history um, is, is going to link up. You know, what, what's the big deal with that? I, I don't really, you know, I know. Well, that's, it depends on what you're browsing. I guess. I mean. I guess we could say don't browse anything you wouldn't want. Well, first off, I would say you probably shouldn't be sharing accounts and you probably shouldn't be sharing Apple IDs. But if you decide to do that, just what if you were buying someone a present? Let's go there. Okay. And it was secret for their birthday. Yeah. You know, honestly, I haven't in all the years I have never, I, I guess to my detriment, maybe I, I don't look at my kids browsing history. I don't look at my wife's browsing history. I just, I don't know. I just, I don't, I just don't go there. I guess I, I maybe. No, I'm just saying if you were looking in your browsing history and someone else was browsing on a device that had your shared iCloud login, it, it wouldn't differentiate. It would think it was yours. Yeah. Mine would just be sad if they looked at my browsing history. They'd be like, oh, who, what's this guy watching YouTube videos about bebop scales? What a loser. There you go. There you go. The, um, anyway, uh, so you've got that. The, um, 
I, I want to step back just a little bit about bookmarks, though, because while we're talking about these apps, let's talk a little bit about how we're using these features. Um, are you a bookmark person? And if so, how do you use it? Well, I don't know what you mean by bookmark person. I mean, I have bookmarks, um, but I don't have hundreds of bookmarks. I mean, I probably have maybe a couple dozen bookmarks. But the way that I organize my bookmarks is I use the bookmark What's it called? The bookmark tab at the top, the bookmark bar at the top. Yeah. So you under the uh, view or the I think it's under the view menu in Safari. You can enable to show favorites bar. It's called the favorites. bar. Yeah. And then that. So I have a, I have a favorites bar and then I have one, two, three, four folders under the favorites bar. And if you have a folder, it uh, it gives you the folder title with a little uh, down arrow next to it. You tap on that and then it gives you everything underneath it. Um. I use the bar as well. I think it's really useful for what I do. I've got a couple uh, favorites in there that I that are not in folders, like the Max Sparky site, the Squarespace um, login, you know, where I go to Squarespace to write a new blog, Google Docs, Toggle, um, my billing system. There's a couple things that just are just root access in that bar, get you straight to the website that you need. But then I have, you know, the the three areas of my life are, you know, Max Sparky, uh, the legal career and my personal stuff. And each one of those has some some bookmarks underneath it. And I uh, I really use bookmarks. I don't use them the, in the historical fashion where every day I go and tap on my bookmarks to see my websites. That's what things like RSS and Twitter and other things are for. But uh, for frequently accessed websites, I use them all the time. Um like for instance, I have a folder under the the Max Sparky thing that has my my books stuff for the publishing stuff. So like the website that I go to to buy images, and the, you know all the th- things that I use repeatedly are easily found in there. And for the law practice, I survive on that. I mean, because uh, I do corporate law for a lot of companies, and I'm always dealing with the Delaware Secretary of State or the California Secretary of State, or you know these different organizations that have various locations in their websites that aren't always easy to find. And once I get to the login page or the form page that I really like, I, I bookmark that. So I'm actually pretty disciplined about my bookmarks and having that bar available allows me to get to any one of them with just a click. And uh, that's something really useful to me. Now, alternatively, you could put it in the sidebar or you could do them both with the the sidebar if you wanted. But I find that that tiny loss of real estate across the top of the screen is absolutely paid for with the uh, existence of that bar. So I have um, I have four folders and I'm really thinking about getting rid of one of them. So I may by the end of the show only have three folders. All right. Do it. So like We're going to check back with you. Like you, I had kind of my my favorite one offs like my um, my my Squarespace login and my we have a little bookmarklet that will create show notes for for the show. So I had that in there, you know, like the, the really super important ones. I used to have those just as separate buttons, but then I had so many of those that it got a little overwhelming. So now I have a folder. My first folder is just called shortcuts. So all those now live in there. And then I have three folders. I have one that's called personal, one that's called finance, and one that's called work. And I'm thinking about getting rid of the finance folder because what I have in the finance folder is like links to the utility company, links to the mortgage company, you know, links to the Visa card, the Amex, those types of things where I would go every month to to pay those bills or to look at those statements. But what I realized is over the years, I'm never using those links anymore because I use LaunchBar. I think you do as well. We also, Alfred's great as well. 
because all of those sites that have logins, and this this happens with a lot of sites, all of my sites that have logins now, I have one password um, set up for. And so I am just accessing those sites now using my one password bookmarklet and loading the sites direct from one password and auto filling in my username and password. So I really don't need the bookmarklet anymore. Or you could put them in a folder just under a separate you know, finance could go inside folder. I think that's what's going to happen is finance is going to go inside the personal folder. And to edit those, you just go to bookmarks in Safari and there's an edit bookmark thing there where you can go through. I actually have a, a OmniFocus repeating task every six months because I would, right? Um, that's just called audit bookmarks. And I go through because what happens is I add, add them, especially the legal thing is where I use them the most because there's a bunch of obscure places I have to go as a lawyer for clients. Um, but that sounded kind of ominous. Didn't, it didn't, it's not as ominous as I made that sound, (laughs) but yeah, but anyway, so I, I get, as I add them, I don't necessarily organize them on the fly. If I'm, I'm working when I add them. So I just keep going. And then, so every six months I go through and just kind of take a look, I organize them a little better, maybe throw out a few bad ones and, um, just kind of auditing and keeping them clean is a good thing. Another feature that got added to Safari with one of the more recent versions on the Mac is the ability to pin a website. And the way that works is if you're on a website, like, you know, I use Mac Sparky in this sample and you just go into the window tab and there's an option to pin the tab. It's just, you know, P-I-N, you pin it. And what it does is creates a very small icon on the tab bar of Safari browser and you can have uh, key sites there. So those ones that I have the one-offs in the bookmark bar, I've also put a bunch of those in the pinned bar and I, I could probably get rid of the bookmarks if I wanted to because they're pinned, but I also like having those bookmarks when I'm over on iOS. So I keep them there as well. Do you ever pin any websites, Katie? You know, I've never really gotten into pinning websites. I know it was introduced a couple of, a couple of OSs ago. I just, I, I don't like to use, lose the real estate. It's very small. I mean, it's just a, a very tiny, but it's not a normal size tab in the tab bar. I know, but they're, it's always gone. That space is always gone. Yes, that space is always gone. Yeah, that's true. I just find that I can get to stuff so quickly anyway. You know, the time that it takes to get to something is not worth having the constant loss of the real estate. Yeah, okay. So you, we've got the bookmark support. We've got the pinning down. Um, uh, another thing, uh, native Apple uh, ecosystem feature is the idea of handoff. So what that is... If you've opened a tab or you've opened a browser, you're looking at something on iOS, particularly in Safari, and you say, you know, I I really would rather just look at this on my Mac or vice versa. If you have something open on your on your iOS device, it can automatically you'll see in your dock a little picture of Safari and you can click on it and it will take you right to the page that you were looking at. So you can hand off from your phone or from your iPad to your Mac. I love this so much. Do you ever use this feature? Sometimes, not not often, because it's not often that I'm sitting at my Mac and using my my phone or my iPad at the same time. Occasionally, like I'm, I, I like to uh, structure a few breaks into my day, and one of my favorite things to do with a break is read like a long form article. And so I'll be working on my Mac and find something like on the New Yorker or something that I just want to read that you know it's going to take 15 minutes to read it. So and I need a little change in space anyway. So I'll take you know take myself off the clock in essence. And then I'll just pick up the iPad and go downstairs and sit on the couch or in a comfy chair. And that 
that works. Handoff, you just, you just open your iPad and you see the little Safari icon, you tap on it, it brings you right to where you left off on the Mac. I, it's one of those things only Apple could do. I don't think a lot of people use it, but the do, people that do use it, I think, love it. Now, bringing us to our next feature, why, for example, wouldn't you use something like Reading List for that? Because Reading List is kind of like the Instapaper and the Read It Later, but a light version, but it's probably has enough features that it will work for most people. So what Reading List allows you to do is to take a site, add it to your reading list. That will sync across your Apple devices. And it allows you a quick list of things that you want to come back to and read later. You can see it in a nice reader view, and it will sync across your devices for you. Now, I don't believe it gives you the ability to read these things offline. Well, to answer your question, it's it's because it's it's of one thing. It's like I find I decide I'm going to take a break. I'm already sitting at the Mac. I'll find the article on the Mac, and then all I have to do is grab the iPad and walk away, and I've got access to it. So I'm not looking to read it later. I'm looking to read it right now. And um, that's the difference. Now, read uh, the reading list feature, uh, kind of the underlying thing for me is I am super stingy about what I put in reading list. We talked about this on the episode with with Jocelyn Gly. Um, And thanks for all the great feedback on that, by the way. We've had great feedback on both of our recent guests. I think think what you said, and it stuck with me, and I might be paraphrasing, but every time you put something – in one of these read it later or these um, reading list type services is you're writing a check that you're, you're either going to have to cash later or you're going to have to abandon it later. Yeah. And I really abused it. <laughs> you know, it was just a few weeks ago on the show, so I won't go through it all again, but I originally, it was the, it, it was so easy to put stuff in there, especially with the reader uh, RSS reader app. It was, I had it. So I just swiped. If I just swiped from right to left, it got added to pocket or, or whichever read it later service I was using at the time. And I would get thousands of articles put in there and, I didn't have time to read all those articles, so uh, I didn't read any of them. So instead now I'm trying to keep it down to just a few at a time. And then when I go to bed in the evening, if I just want to, you know, read a little bit, I'll open it up and get through the read it later with my iPad. But it is a, I think it is a slippery slope if you're not careful with those services. And so many of these articles are just really quick reads that if I see something in my RSS feed that's interesting, a lot of times I'll just pop it open and look at it, skim it and say, okay, I'm done. Well, I've got what I need out of that. Thanks. I'm done. Now, now you were out of town that week, so I didn't get to solicit your opinion on Read It Later services. Are you doing much of that now? or um, I am like you trying to do less because what I would find is I would stick something in there and either it would be a long time before I looked at it. And at that point, it was really irrelevant because it had already, it was something that was timely and it had already been talked to death and it was no longer relevant. Or I would just never get around to it. So I try to be much more judicious with what I'm putting in my read it later services because I, I've realized that I'm either not getting to them for a while, you know, or by the time I open it up, it's just too overwhelming. Yeah, I think one of the smartest things you can do if you like to consume data, you know, through the traditional RSS or read it later service um, model is just get really stingy about what you read or what what goes into your filter and what and get even more stingy about what gets saved to read later through it and then you'll actually enjoy the stuff you read. What I try to do is I try to build breaks into my day and then just read that stuff. So if I'm if I'm going to take a fifteen minute break because I've been working for the morning, I'm going to take a fifteen minute break. I'm going to go through my RSS feed and if there's something in there I want to read, then I read it. But at the end of fifteen minutes, I stop. And usually I haven't had a problem where that's been problem. No, I think that's great. That, and that's that's exactly what I'm I'm recommending. 
another built-in feature with Safari that you can only get with Safari is AirPlay. Now, I use AirPlay and my family uses AirPlay all the time to the Apple TV. I mean, we, uh, you know, my kids are of the age where they find all the funny memes and just weird things on the internet. You know, when you're in high school and college, that's that's one of the things. And uh, the ability to throw it up on the TV, because I don't know about you, but we're on our Apple TV, like probably like 80% of the time. I'm not sure if we need cable much longer. We're That's your primary TV. input. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the kids always throw stuff up there and I do too on occasion. And uh, you know, when, when this first came out, I didn't know how I'd use it, but now we use it for laughs. I mean, all the time we put stuff up through AirPlay. Uh, do you do much of that? Um, I airplay a, quite a bit. I, I don't think as much as, as you do, because I don't, you know, I'm not really air, airplane to share it with a lot of people. But what, what I'll do is I, I find a lot of times, especially with YouTube and those types of things, it's a lot easier to to find and, and to see what I'm trying to do on the I, iPad, especially if it's like sitting on my lap, than try to navigate the on-screen navigation with the little Apple remote. So I'll use like the the app, uh, the uh, YouTube app on my iPad, which is actually the YouTube app, kind of as my remote, and then just airplay it to the Apple TV. Yeah, I mean they they made those changes to the YouTube app on Apple TV, and it, it still takes some adjustment. Like uh, if you like to search YouTube, I wasn't sure it was good before, and I'm not sure it's good now either. No, I, I am not either. But uh, just a, a tip to the wary, I guess, is if you like YouTube, and honestly, there's something on YouTube for everybody, even. Bebop's, you know, scales for old nerds. But the um, you go on the search bar on the Apple TV, and that's not enough. Like, if you go on the search bar and just highlight it and then hit the microphone to dictate your search, you actually have to click on the search bar and get it to start a physical search, and then you can use the microphone button. I don't know. I just, there's a whole debate going on right now about what's the best user interface for these Apple TV apps. And, you know, companies like Google want to have the same interface on all of their devices. Like if you have a Chromebook or a Chrome TV, what they call Chromecast for their TV or Apple TV or whatever, it's basically the same interface. But I don't agree with that. I think the best interface on the Apple TV is the one that matches all the other Apple TV interfaces because people who own Apple TV will understand that. Whereas, you know, I don't own a Chromecast, so I don't care if this looks like it does on the other thing. Um, but uh, that's just me. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Audible, helping you be a better you. Start your free trial today. Head to audible.com slash MPU or text MPU to 500-500. Okay, gang, every time Audible sponsors the podcast, I get kind of excited because I've been an Audible subscriber for something like five years now. Every month I get a free book from Audible and I really enjoy listening to my book a month club. Audible is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you. Whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. I went on a bit of a productivity binge towards the end of last year, and part of that for me was consuming several productivity books by Audible. A couple of my favorites were Cal Newport's Deep Work and... Carol Dweck's Mindset. These were both great books that would have been fun to read, but they were even better as audible books because I could listen to them while I was taking a walk or doing yard work, and I learned a lot. 
Whatever you want to achieve, whatever you want to learn, Audible has you covered with its unmatched selection of audiobooks and other spoken word products. Audible helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices and pick up exactly where you left off. So whether you're on your phone, in your car, on a tablet, or even at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. When you sign up, you'll get credit every month so you can use it to buy any audiobook in their store, regardless of price. That's one of my favorite things sometimes is to use my Audible credit to buy a book that's like 60 hours long. I feel like I'm maximizing my value. Anyway, any unused credits will roll over to the next month. If for any reason you don't like your audiobook, you can exchange it for a new one, no questions asked. And once you've bought them, the books are yours to keep. You can go back and listen to your library, even if you cancel your membership. So I mentioned earlier that I've been listening to a lot of productivity books on Audible lately. Uh, it's a real fun process for me because I can listen to the book and even just keep a piece of paper or a, a mind note in front of me and I can take notes while I'm listening to it. It's a good way for me to really consume and absorb these books into my life. But I don't just listen to productivity books. I also really like to do uh, fun books through Audible. And the one I recently found that I really enjoyed was a book by Becky Chambers called The Long Way to a small angry planet and it's a story about a group of people in a spaceship that they're all just trying to get along and make the best out of life and they've got all these challenges it's just a fun and i thought uplifting story it's not overwhelming it's only 14 hours so you can get through it in a course of a week or so depending on how often you listen to audible but it's a great listen, and I would recommend it. You can listen to that book right now or any other book in the Audible library by heading to audible.com MPU or simply text MPU to 500-500 to get started. That's pretty cool. You can get started just by texting to 500-500. But do make sure to mention Mac Power users because I want them to know that our listeners love Audible books just like I do. And that gives me an excuse to tell you about even more books that I've listened to through Audible. I think we've buried the lead here a little bit. I mean, what's the number one reason to use Safari in your opinion? Well, I'll tell you what mine is. Well, I think we're going to have the same one, but go ahead. It's energy saving. Yeah, that's probably the biggest one. And Apple has really done a lot over the years to keep tweaking Safari. So it is the um, the most efficient browser. Notice I did not say fastest. I said the most efficient browser for the Mac and probably for iOS as well. And they 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 crank a lot of levers back there to try to, to make sure that if you're on a, a laptop, especially that you're getting maximum battery life. In fact, that's one of the things that they advertise their battery life, you know, that you'll get X number of hours of browsing time. I agree. I, I just, and this applies both to Mac and iOS. I mean, Apple just does better. I mean, we had a, a, a close friend who had two MacBooks. It was husband and wife. And this is a story I think I've told on the show before. But they thought there was something wrong with the wife's computer because it, it wouldn't hold a charge. They like bought two MacBooks at the same time and like hers would last half as long as his would. They took it into the Apple store. They ran diagnostics on it. Apple said, no, the battery's fine. There's nothing wrong. And eventually they got to the bottom of it. And it was that she was running Chrome with, I guess, embedded flash. She was doing something on her computer and the Chrome browser was like killing the battery, like this extraordinarily high amount. And I don't think it was all Chrome's fault. I think there was some flash involved with it as well. But it was just like 
it, it was night and day difference between two brand new computers because she wasn't using Safari. I um I see the WWDC at, at, at when I go to the developer conference every year. There's a couple guys from the Safari team that are big Mac Power users listeners. So um they talk to me every year about how hard they're working, and uh, I know that this is huge on the whiteboard at Apple. It's like, how do we make this so our users' uh, batteries uh, last as long as possible while they're on the internet? And that is a big deal to them. Do you think in some degrees it's been to their detriment? I mean, Apple has always been the first to to slash things. We're not going to support Flash. We're not um, going to support these other third parties. We're going to turn off these plugins. I, some people would say too fast, too soon, but it also arguably is is protecting and helping their uh, customers. Oh, I, I don't know. I think battery life is a very important thing to users. I mean, if you've got a laptop or an iPhone, you, you want battery life. I mean, that's, I think it's the one thing everybody would agree they want more of. So I think pushing in that direction makes sense. And it is such a, a big difference. I mean, my wife and I, we, we have a, I'd like to think we have a pretty good marriage. You know, we're coming up on 25 years. Um, We've never really had big problems, but one of the biggest points of of our problems in our married life is every time I open her computer and she has Chrome and Safari open at the same time, each with like 30 tabs in it. Just let it go. Just let it be. It makes me so crazy. and I I don't understand. I say I don't even understand why you need to have 30 tabs open. I don't understand why you would need 30 tabs open in two different browsers. I'm like, just pick one. I don't even care if you like Chrome better. That's fine. Use Chrome. But she's got her favorites for each browser and she just runs them both. And Katie Floyd, I don't know what to say. I, I think we need to have Daisy on for a workflow episode. No, you don't. talk about this. No, you don't. Yeah, let's do madness. that. It would be madness. But anyway, uh, uh, I'm working on I'm working on it. You know, I'm trying to be patient. I can't, I can't understand it. Uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned a minute ago was speed. You know, every time they come out the newest version of Safari, Apple finds some test that they can win to say it's the fastest. And every time Chrome comes out with a new version, they find some test to say they're the fastest. Yeah, I think Chrome is really the fastest. But does that ever, does that really matter to you? I, I mean, we're, are we talking milliseconds here and microseconds? I, and And I think it all depends. It depends on... You know, obviously your connection, but it also depends on what web page are you on? Are you using any third party, you know, plugins or what is the page trying to do? I, I think they're both probably plenty fast. That That's my impression. I, I think in the old days, you know, the Nozilla days, um, uh, the speed of your browser was uh, was important because some of them were really slow. But these days, they all feel like they're fast enough. I mean, to me, uh, if it's slightly faster but kills my battery, even just like 10% faster, that is not an adequate trade-off for me. I, I just don't find myself ever sitting in front of the browser wishing it would be faster, whereas uh, I often find myself on my laptop wishing that battery lasted a little longer. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear from some listeners that have got a good reason why speed is important. But it seems to me that for most users, this, the fastest browser is not a super important criteria. Let's talk a little bit about what we can do to tweak some of the settings in in Safari, because out of the box, it's pretty good. But there are a couple of things that you, you may want to adjust for, for optimum browsing settings. What are some of your favorites? Some of the things I suggest people do, and, and I will tell you candidly, some of these may be set already as the preferences out of the box, because I've tweaked mine a little bit and it's hard to remember, you know, what is what. 
Um, but you can go into the settings and there, there are certain things you can do. The big one that I suggest you do, and I think this is now off by default, but please make sure that you deselect the tab that's, or the little box on the general tab in preferences that says open safe files after downloading. There are no safe files after downloading. Uh, one that I change uh, is the download location. Uh, you know, there is a downloads flow folder on your Mac, but I, I forget about it and I like to kind of uh, keep track of that stuff. You know, you'll look in your downloads folder and it'll be full. And this is something you can use a Hazel rule to clean out, but I don't necessarily want things to get thrown away automatically. So I changed the downloads folder location to the action folder, which is a folder on my iCloud drive uh, where I, it's like the, it's a folder where I have Hazel sort documents, but it's also a place where I download files these days. Um, if you're a Dropbox user, you could put it on Dropbox. If you don't like the cloud, you could put it just in your documents folder. But the the idea of putting it in that action folder is then it gets automatically synchronized between my two Macs um, that I've got access to it from my iOS devices to that specific folder. And um, I'm more likely to keep it clean and get rid of them, get rid of those files when I'm done with them. Two other settings I change are related to passwords. Part of that's because I use another password manager. I use 1Password. Um, they're a sponsor of the show. That's not why, though. Um, I go into the autofill settings, and I make sure that I deselect the option to autofill pass usernames and passwords. And then I, I go into the password settings, um, and I make sure that Safari is not saving my passwords because I don't I just don't want passwords in there. I get that. I mean, it, it, because anybody who has access to the Mac can get access to the passwords. It will fill in for anyone. Well, and Safari has gotten better about that. Right now, Safari passwords are locked. So I'd either have to unlock with Touch ID. Um, but you can, you know, I just, I don't like that stuff in there. That's okay. And and the, another way to do that, there's some one password users that use Safari, they use Safari stuff for basic sites, like, you know, getting into a web forum or something where they use one password for the bank. Um, you can go about this, you know, however you like. Um, what about search engine? I mean, one of the things that Safari can do that I think a lot of people don't think about is you can change your native search engine. And, you know, depending on which company is, you know, on the public spotlight for sharing, you know, improperly sharing information, uh, sometimes people think that they don't want to use Google anymore or they want to go over and try Microsoft Bing. Um, I like to use DuckDuckGo as my native search engine. Yeah, I've, I'm sorry, I've kept mine with Safari. With Google. I'm sorry, I've kept mine with Google. Yeah, it's just, you know, I've, it's not something that I particularly care all that much about. It's, it's not, the, it's not the field I'm going to die on, but I respect people who want to, want to change it. I have not found great, uh, great success with, uh, with the Bing search as I have with the Google search, but um, I have not had a lot of experience with DuckDuckGo. I feel like um, Google is better than DuckDuckGo. I mean, and it's, it's almost an unfair advantage because they have so many people using Google. They've got more data to make it better, et cetera. And it just kind of like feeds on itself. But the, uh, I do like DuckDuckGo. And it's kind of funny because I was just whining earlier about how I don't care if anybody looks at my search history. Uh, but for some reason, uh, when it comes to like the world out there, like I'm going to talk later in the show about VPNs for the same reason. I just don't really like the idea of other companies tracking what I'm doing on the Internet. Um and it's not that I'm ashamed of anything I do on the internet so much as it is, uh, I just don't like becoming a marketing, you know, tool. And I just, I don't know, it just bugs me a little bit. So I use DuckDuckGo 
it's an interesting third-party alternative for a search engine. It's not as good as Google is my general impression, but it's good enough for almost everything I do. And when I want to use it, and the advantage of DuckDuckGo is they don't track you. I mean, that's their whole business model is like, we don't do the stuff Google does. So if, you, if you're interested in that, you should check it out. It's, it's easy to set up. And Apple has put it in where if you go into settings under search, you can just switch the little button to DuckDuckGo and you're good. But the trick to this is occasionally you do need to do a Google search. Sometimes DuckDuckGo isn't getting you the result you want. And DuckDuckGo has this, they call it bangs. It's it's a um, exclamation point followed by a code and it changes the parameters of the search. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the old fashioned search stuff where you could put in parameters, whereas Google's really gotten away from that. They don't, you know, they don't really do that as much anymore. But with DuckDuckGo, one of the bangs is a Google search. So if you if you hit bang G or exclamation point G and then space and then type in your search, it does a an anonymized Google search for you. So you still get the Google results, but you're, you, you've got the DuckDuckGo engine. So um, try that out. If you've never tried it, just see what you think. I actually like their their general search results because they aren't as messy. Google's got so kind of spammy with the ads lately. I was just, I did a Google search the other day with just playing Google and it had like seven or the first top seven or eight entries seemed like they were at paid advertisements, whereas DuckDuckGo doesn't do that as bad. All right. Well, anything more we want to talk about with Safari and other settings you normally tweak? We're going to talk about extensions later. So. Yeah, I, I've got I've got thoughts on extensions. Uh, tabs. Uh, I like I like the ability to click through the tabs. Do you use the uh, keyboard shortcut to switch between tabs? Sometimes, yeah. Oh, I forgot. There are some a few tweaks I forgot. Go go under the advanced tab in Safari and the preferences. There there are two things that I tweak, and one I forgot about. Um, I like to show the full address of the website that is not on by default. You can do that in Smart Search field. There's a tab there under the advanced. Yeah, that's that's good if you want to avoid uh, if you're on a website and you're not sure if you're actually on the website or not. Right. Um, and then there's also an option in under reading list to save articles for offline viewing. So there you go. That solves part of that problem. And, and if you're not if you're following our advice and you're not putting a lot of stuff on the reading list, why not? Well, I think we've about um, talked Safari up. Are we ready to, to switch over and talk a little bit about Google? Chrome. Interesting, Chrome and Safari have, um, they're both based on WebKit. You know, WebKit is the open source kind of web viewing. Uh, uh, I'm going to screw this up, Katie. It's it's the, the it's the web viewing kind of platform that Apple based Safari off of. It was an open source project that Apple kind of took into its bosom. And a few years ago, maybe it was a few years ago now, maybe it was just a year. I don't remember exactly when it happened. Uh, but Chrome was using the same thing. You know, Apple kind of blazed a trail on that. They said, we're going to do the same thing with Chrome, but Google said, you know what, we're going to split WebKit off and start doing our own thing with it. So now they don't really have the same um, foundation that they used to. Yeah, because they used to all be be based on the same code. In fact, you could used to get, can't you still get nightly builds? Yeah, you can still do that for Safari too. Did you know that? Yes. It's it's not nightly, but they have frequent updates. It's I think I believe it's a it's a purple Safari icon. I, I've never signed up for that because I'm fine with Safari working, and I don't want it to not work. All right. Uh, so talking about Chrome, uh, we both said it's our our secondary browser. It's uh, for a lot of people, it's their first browser. I, I'd say globally, it, do you think it's the the biggest browser on the market? It is. Chrome supposedly has 40% market share these days, which globally makes it the uh, largest browser. 
gosh, you, you know, it was Explorer for so long, Internet Explorer, which they don't they don't support anymore. What's the new one on uh, Windows called? Edge. Uh, yes, yes. Microsoft has even changed the name. So maybe maybe two bad memories with the old one. But so, yeah, Google is probably the most popular browser. I don't know that that's necessarily true among Mac users, because remember, Chrome is um, is multi-platform. Safari used to be. And and the Mac is relatively such a small number of computers compared to the overall computers. I'm not sure it would 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 push the needle too much. So so, so what do you use Chrome for on your Mac? I use Chrome um, for a couple of things. I use it basically for everything else. Um, I use Chrome when Google, it's basically my browser. You know, for example, if I'm signed into sites and services and I, I specifically want to look at a, something, you know, without being signed in, if I want kind of a clean experience, that's what I'll do is I'll launch Chrome because I know it's the site that I don't keep signed in and it's, it's kind of my, my clean option if that makes sense for things. Um, I will use Chrome. Um, I, I think we've talked a little bit about it as the uh, the backdoor to uh, to using Adobe Flash because Chrome, at least for now, um, still has a, a built-in Flash player. So for those few times that you still need to use or view something in Adobe Flash, Chrome will work. Yeah, that, that, I would say that's my primary reason for using Chrome. If I have to do something that runs Flash, but I can't think of a time in the last six months I've loaded Chrome for that purpose. Yeah, uh, there are still a few websites that um, don't that and they're badly designed websites, but there are still a few websites that I find something does not work correctly in Safari. And if I find that something's not working correctly in a website, usually one of the first things that I'll do is launch Chrome and see if it can work there. What about um, the uh, the extension system? I mean, one of the things I think Google does with Chrome better than Safari is they are very uh willing to try interesting extensions and there's an active developer community coming up with ways to make Chrome do things. Yeah. And we're going to talk about extensions in a, in a separate segment a little bit later, but Chrome by far has the most expansive of the extension ecosystems of, of any of the browsers. I mean, Safari's uh, extend, it does have expansion through extensions, but it pales significantly in comparison to to what you can do with Chrome. I remember during the election there was a there was an extension you could run in Chrome that would just literally black out the names of certain politicians, you know. Oh, uh, no matter which wasn't... way you go, it didn't matter. They, they had a they had all parties covered. <laughs> okay, well there you go. Uh and I think I I think Apple is a little more restrictive about what you can put in their extensions. Um, they don't really have an extension store, but, you know, through what you can submit through their extensions website. You know, Google has a much more open system for that. Now, I, you know, it's funny, Katie, because at the top of the show, I said, this is my secondary browser. And as I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, I just opened up Chrome again as I were talking. I almost never use this application. I mean, I, I, I used to use it a lot more often than I do these days. Is there a trend for you? I mean, are you using Chrome a lot or a little? How often are you using it? Um, I would say a couple, at least once a week I'm in Chrome for something, but but not not for extended periods of time. I, I'm not a good Chrome representative on this show because I just don't, everything pretty much works in Safari. Uh, I spend a lot of time in Google services like Google Documents and those definitely work better in Chrome. 
I mean, there are certain things that, that seem to fall apart a little bit in Safari, whereas Google has dialed in, of course, their documents and sheets and all those services to work ideally in Chrome. Um, uh, like, I believe it was a, a command C copy doesn't work in Safari on Google Docs, but it does in Chrome. And there's like little things like that. But even that, the... um they've come a long way with their support of Safari to the extent that you can get work done in Safari if you need to in the Google uh, ecosystem. But I, I still think primarily Chrome first. Uh, you, you can do what you need to, but it, I think the best experience obviously is going to be in, in Chrome. I think like a good scenario is if you're a Gmail user, if you're listening to us right now, you're a Gmail user, you should be doing Gmail in Chrome. I mean, that that's almost a good, if you do a lot of your, because I've always been a fan of doing Google Mail's made for the web. It works best, I believe, in the browser, like all those great keyboard shortcuts and all of the, you know, the cool plugins they have, all the stuff that makes Google Mail the awesomeness that it can be is, I think, using it from the browser and you should use it in Google's browser. In fact, I'd almost argue that if you were someone who spent a lot of time in Gmail, Maybe Chrome should be your primary browser or at least keep a, a version of it running to handle your email for you. Uh, another person I think would be ideally suited to use Chrome as their primary browser is someone who's carrying an Android phone. I mean, believe it or not, there's people listening to the show that don't have an iPhone. They have an Android phone. Maybe work assigns it. Maybe they just prefer Android. Uh, in that case, all the tab sharing and stuff that we like so much on iOS doesn't, doesn't matter to them. In fact, the tab sharing was is more suited uh, logging into your Google account using Chrome on both devices. There's a case to be made for it. I think there's a good case to be made made for Chrome. And it, if if I couldn't use Safari, it would it would definitely be my my secondary device. Now it's it's a little little more fidgety with Chrome to get in and tweak the settings. You you kind of just use it as is, but but you can't. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by One Password. You can learn more and save up to twenty percent by heading over to onepassword.com/mpu. Well, I am excited to share with you that it is One Password beta season. That's right, One Password version seven beta for Mac is out, and you can join in on the fun. One Password version seven comes to you with a fast, bold, and beautiful sidebar that shows you more information than ever including a new dark theme and monochrome icon to allow you to focus your attention on what matters most. Beta 7 of 1Password for Mac features drag and drop, so you can now see all of your vaults in the sidebar, and it makes it easy for you to drag and drop items to organize them. This new version also includes features like rich text and notes, nested tags, pop-out items, custom fonts, and a whole lot more. But there's more than just rugged good looks to this new 1Password beta. It also comes with a whole lot new security features, including a tool for finding pwned passwords. It seems like every day we're learning about a new massive data breach. And has one of your passwords been pwned? Well, 1Password can now check the Have I Been Pwned database and give you an idea of whether that's happened. The 1Password 7 beta also features a secure enclave for Touch ID, so it protects your master password whenever Touch ID is enabled and greatly improves your security when you're using Touch ID on an enabled Mac. And they've built a new Safari app extension into 1Password 7, so there's no need to manage it separately when it updates whenever 1Password updates. That's just a few tastes of things to come in the new 1Password 7 beta. 
And if you want, you can go ahead and download 1Password 7 beta for now. 1Password 7 is included free for everyone with a 1Password membership. Simply unlock 1Password after downloading it and you're good to go. For those of you who prefer the standalone license model, don't worry about that. Licenses will be available for $64.99 when it launches later this year, but you can get in on early access. You can buy a special license now for only $39.99, and you can also maybe decide to try a membership and start enjoying 1Password 7 today with a first month free. So learn more, head over to onepassword.com slash MPU, and thanks to the fine folks over at 1Password for their continued support of the show. All right, so we covered the big two. You want to take a minute to talk about some of the other browsers on Mac quickly? Yeah, I mean, the other big one is um, is Firefox, although I, I see people using and talking less and less about Firefox, it seems, although I'm sure there's some Firefox devotees out there. Haven't installed it, haven't used it in ages. Remember uh, OmniWeb? <laughs> that, was a, <laughs> uh, that was a good browser, but they're not around anymore. I will tell you, the, the times that I've, I've used Firefox, I have installed it on occasion, has been when there has, there has been a specific app or service that specifically says you need to use Firefox for this. Um, but that that's kind of the only time I've used it. And and really, it's just because I think Chrome's probably a better option for most things. And, you know, I'm, I really don't find a need to have three browsers installed on my computer simultaneously. But I know there are a lot of people who love Firefox. I think if you go back in time at the Mac Power Users, when we were talking about browsers, you know, five or six years ago, uh, there was a lot more reason to run multiple browsers, whereas now I believe the the web technologies have come far enough along and they're, the feature sets are shared enough between the various browsers that, you know, most web developers support all of these, you know, these primary browsers pretty equally or at least enough that uh, no matter which browser you pick, you don't find yourself needing to load multiple browsers. I, I really need to pin my wife down and find out what websites are it that you feel like you must run on Chrome versus Safari or the uh, the opposite? I need to know the answer to that question now. It's bugging me. All right. Um, what about Choosy? That's in the outline. I've never used that one. So Choosy is basically an app that will let you choose to open certain things in different browsers. Yeah. All right. So like if you were a Gmail person, you wanted always Gmail in the Chrome browser, but you wanted something else in Safari it would take care of that for you. Right. And what Choosy does is allows you to pick a, a browser um, particularly for for something. So it can prompt you to select from all of the browsers on your Mac or just the ones that are running. Um, so you can say always open this in a particular browser because, you know, sometimes that makes sense. Oh, we didn't talk about Opera. That's sad, isn't it? Didn't even make it onto our outline. We didn't. Well, I'm mentioning it for people. So you don't have to write us and tell us we didn't talk about it. So we, we're talking about it. What's the advantage of Opera? I don't know, but people who love it, love it. <laughs> so there you go. Um, it used to be, I, I'd have to take a look at it. Um, it used to be that, um, well, number one, it's Linux. So a lot of people that are Linux are in it and it has a different engine. Can you tell I just opened it up and it gave me a Wikipedia entry? There you go. <laughs> I was thinking, was Opera the one that used to preload pages like they had a cache of certain pages so it could get to them faster? I want to say that was Opera. But, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of spinning now. Let's just stop before I get myself in trouble. That That is the extent of our knowledge on this particular topic. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get back to something we know something about and talk about some of the browsers on iOS. 
Yes. So Safari is still king on on iOS. And I think really the reason that Safari is king on iOS is because it is so deeply integrated with with iOS. Right now on iOS, we don't have the ability to choose default apps on on iOS. You still can't choose a default mail app. You can't choose a default web browser. Um, the Apple apps are what it is. Now, there are third party browsers on iOS, but if you click a link or if something prompts you to go to the web, it's going to open in Safari. Yeah, this is one of those unfair advantage things where I really wish Apple would 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 stop that. I mean, browsers and email applications in particular are two categories of apps where I feel like it's time for us to be able to choose our favorite. And if you wanted to go to airmail when you have an email, or if you wanted to go to Chrome when you've got a web link, I feel like iOS has come far enough along that there should be some kind of setting. And I'm fine with Apple making the default their apps, but I just feel like it should, you know, some users don't want that and there should be a way to make it go. But for now that's not. So it doesn't matter whether you like Safari or not, when you get a, an email with a web link in it and you tap on it, it's going to open it in Safari. But even if that option existed, I would still use Safari. And, uh, the you know, number one, all the features we talked about on the Mac, you know, you can cut and paste that here. Is there a way to audio cut and paste? I wish, I wish there was. But, you know, the iCloud bookmark support, handoff, reading list, AirPlay, all that stuff exists on Safari for iOS, and even more importantly, energy optimization. I mean, they do so much on Safari to, to make it so it doesn't use up um, extra clock cycles or extra electrons in your battery as you're running through uh, Safari. I mean, that that's the reason to use it, in my opinion, is preserve battery life in your iPhone. Um, in terms of other browsers uh, on iOS that, that we can use, iCab is oh is one that i i constantly have in my toolbox for for using other things i kind of just consider it like my um my utility browser does that make sense no it, it totally is i mean there's a whole bunch of like fidgety features that i'm sure people would want to add to safari that will never get added to safari because apple likes to keep it simple uh, with a lot of good reasons. But if you want to be able to do any kind of geeky things with a browser on your iPad or iPhone, just get a copy of iCap. And you get into the settings in there and you can get lost in the settings in that app. Uh, one of the most common uses is to spoof a browser. If you want it to seem like uh, you're using a, a desktop computer, you can do that in iCap. Like if you go to a website and they'll only give you a mobile version in, uh, in Safari and you can't get it to work, uh, go on iCap. You can make that work. I, I did that with uh, Google Docs forever because there's a bunch of features in Google Docs that they just don't support in the Google Docs app for iPad. But if you load up Google Docs in iCap and say, I'm at a desktop computer, then you get all the features you get as if you were holding a Mac. And since the iPad's big enough screen, and there's a way you can uh, spoof a desktop site on the uh, Safari browser too. We talked about that just recently on the show, but but iCab can go so much farther on those kinds of problems. Uh, and downloading stuff on an iCab and saving it where you want to save it, it it's, it's a lot more full-featured. Um, Chrome, Google makes Chrome for iOS as well. 
I think a lot of people who use Chrome on the Mac may want to look at Chrome on iOS because you get a lot of the um, sync support that Google can offer. So it can sync things like your bookmarks, um, sync, sync a lot of that information back and forth between the various browsers. You're not going to get the full benefit because, uh, you know, it's not going to be your default browser. But if you live on the Chrome um, on on Mac, you, you might want to consider downloading and using Chrome for iOS. Yeah. And Google, this is kind of an ecosystem thing for browsers, which kind of makes sense the way we started the show talking about how the browser is your window to a lot of these applications. If you like Chrome on Mac, you should probably be using it on iOS. And I, I do think you're going to pay a, a price in battery toll. I don't think that's as big of a deal to the gang at Google, but all of that native support or I guess all of those features that you like on Chrome on Mac are going to generally come over to iOS devices. I would also say that I think that the the microphone search little button in the Chrome browser is real clever, where you can tap into the Google voice uh, to text services right in Chrome. You can do a voice search and it's very fast. That's one of my favorite features about Chrome. I mean, you can do it with Siri as well, but, you know, Google's better at this stuff. Um, and then there are a few other third-party browsers um, for iOS that are still out there. Our, our friend uh, Victor Medina wrote in and said that he uses the Dolphin browser on iOS, and he uses that primarily for privacy reasons. I guess there is something to be said about having just another browser that you do certain things and use certain things in. Yeah, you're going to... So um, if you're searching for, uh, I guess, GIFs and you're worried about them seeing your browser, don't use Safari. You know, use a different browser like Dolphin. That's what Victor's doing. And there are uh, browsers on the iOS store built all around privacy and you know not storing your history and having passcode locks on them and doing all sorts of things to kind of keep privacy uh, or honor privacy for you. Uh, uh, but those apps, I would argue the same thing. You know, like I said, my concern isn't so much someone looking at my browser history. It, it is just I don't like the world at large to be tracking what I'm doing on the internet. But but most of those support things like DuckDuckGo search and some of the other things you can do to protect your privacy more. So I guess the point I'm making is think about privacy from both ends, from your browser's end, but also from the world at large and the internet end as well. All right, anything else we wanna talk about with um, browsers on, on iOS? There are not as many settings to tweak and configure on, on iOS, but um, you can go in and you can look at them in the settings under settings and under Safari, at least. Yeah. Last week uh, with Mike, we went we went to pretty considerable depth with uh, additional features in the Safari browser using 3D Touch and uh, and uh, Long Press. So if you didn't listen to last week's show and you're interested in this, go listen to last week's show because there's a ton of good content in there about how to get more out of Safari on iOS. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Omni Group and OmniFocus 3. That's right, gang, OmniFocus 3. The new version of OmniFocus is still in beta, but the gang at OmniFocus wants you to know all about it, and they gave me permission to talk about it on this show even before the software is released. It's a really great new version of OmniFocus. They've got some brand new features that you're just going to love. The first is tags. The new version of OmniFocus fully supports tags, and I've been having a lot of fun playing with them in the beta. For instance, I've now got tags set up for location that are tied to geographic locations. So if I go to the market, 
tags show up for the market. I can even get custom notifications with the new version, which is another new feature that tells me when I go to the market that I need to buy my spicy carrots. Or when I go to Disneyland, I need to buy a set of Mickey ears for a friend of mine that just had a baby. The point is adding tags adds additional dimensions to OmniFocus that you didn't have before. It's no longer just your project in your context. You can have tags for energy level or location or whatever floats your boat. I'm very excited about it and I've been using the heck out of them. And I'm looking forward to sharing my experiences with you as the product gets closer to launch. But that's not all you get with the new version of OmniFocus. They also have the ability to manually sort lists. So if you've got a list you want to manually sort, you can do that now. The new version also has more flexible scheduling with what they call progressive disclosure. They ask you to make simple decisions up front, like checking an option that says, does this repeat or not? And then you proceed through the interface progressively to disclose more options. And as soon as you get to where you need to be, the application makes the necessary setting and you can go on with your life. This adds complexity to the app when you need it, but keeps things really simple when you don't need it. I mentioned earlier that it has flexible notifications, and that is something I'm really enjoying with the new version. You can change the default notifications so that you're told when a task becomes available, or you can even tell it to notify you when it's time to start your task. They also have added a new repeating notification, so it just keeps bugging you when it needs to. This is good for when I need to take the trash cans out on Thursday night for the purpose of marital bliss. There are a ton of additional new features in OmniFocus 3, more than I can share with you today. But for now, head over to the Omni Group and sign up for the beta. They are putting people in as fast as they can. And why not try it out in advance? I'll put the link in the show notes. So check out the new OmniFocus 3 and learn how great it is for yourself. To learn more, head over to theomnigroup.com. And thanks, Omni Group, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. All right, now we're getting to the pure part of uh, this outline that I was really excited about. I want to talk about browser add-ons, all the little things that we do to tweak our browsers, because, uh, you know, this is Mac Power user, so, you know. Now, there are some people who say that you should just use your browsers completely plain vanilla, don't add anything else to them, because all you're doing is adding additional cruft, you're slowing them down, you're, you're taking additional time to load things, just use the browsers plain vanilla. And... There is perhaps some, you know, logic to that, but I don't do that. Well, and also, let's historically adding plugins to Safari was pretty jinky. You know, it was it was hard to get it to work right, and it did, I think, often have performance effects on the browser. Uh, over the last several years, however, Apple has kind of built in an architecture that allows you to have plugins. And all the big plugins have kind of got into that system. It's it's safer now, more secure. It's more uh, integrated into the into the application itself, so it works faster. And all the all the plugins we're going to talk about are using that system. So I don't think you have to be as afraid of it as you used to be. Yeah, but obviously we as we started talking about earlier in the show, if you really get into add-ons and extensions, Chrome might be the browser for you. Although I I would argue, I mean I every time I, once in a while I do go deep on Chrome and I find myself going a little crazy with the extensions. And it does get in the way. I mean, you know, when you start getting these goofy extensions, it does slow things down and some of them just don't work that well. I I would say you can easily get to the point of diminishing returns. And and you can I mean, honestly, you can just get to the point if you're getting to the point where you need bartender for your um, Safari extensions, you might have a problem. 
In fact, maybe they should make Bartender for Safari extensions. Maybe. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about several of our favorite extensions that were, this is a Safari biased show because both Kenny and I focus on it. Oh, but, but these are all cross-platform extensions, so it's fine. Yeah. But what I would also add to this is we do a feedback show on occasion. And if you're a heavy Chrome user and there's some extension that just you love, 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 and we don't talk about it, let us know and we'll get it in the feedback show. Yeah, well, in fact, there's a thread going right now in the Facebook group, and I've tried to pull some of these out of the Facebook group as well um, for for us to share. And so I would I would encourage you to to continue that thread as well. All right. So let's uh, get to it. Um, first of all, how do you add an extension to Safari? Well, there are a couple of ways that you can do it. Um, Safari does have kind of a quasi extension gallery that you can go to on Apple's website, but I'm not real sure how often that is updated. Uh, usually what you do is you more go to a, a website for a, a service that you're interested in and they'll say, oh, hey, we have an extension and then click here for our Safari extension, click here for our Firefox extension, click here for our Chrome extension. Sometimes they're called extensions, sometimes they're called plugins, sometimes they're called add-ons depending on the the, serv the um, browser that you're using. And then you download that. It's it's like a, it's, it's like a little, little application and then when you run it, it opens the browser and installs itself. It looks like a little Lego icon. No, it looks like an extension icon if you have an old Mac. There you go. A really old Mac. And some apps have the installation process built in, like 1Password. When you run 1Password, it offers to install it for you. So there's two or three different ways to get them in. Um, and if if you've gotten this far in the show and you don't have extensions installed, I think this is the time you should make a little shopping list and try a couple of these out because they can make your life easier. Um Let's talk about the ones we've installed. What's uh, What are some of your extensions, Katie? All right. Well, the first one I think we have to talk about, in, and I don't want to turn this into an ad because they already sponsored the show, but is 1Password. I think we've both installed the 1Password browser extension, but that allows you to do things like autofill your password, get access to the information through 1Password. A lot of applications, well, browser-based applications that you use will probably have a companion extension to allow them to plug in and function. Another thing I use the 1Password extension for all the time is the one as the uh, password generator. Uh, you need to make a password. Um, Katie was talking earlier how she's not a huge fan of the Apple one. I like the 1Password one better as well because you can set types of passwords you want to create. Like quite often for um, websites that aren't as big of a deal for me, I will use the word, uh, like the the memorable word combination generator that one password has where it's just two or three words that are completely unrelated and it it just randomly creates them for you i find that a nice way to make passwords for those types of websites um but i like that and i also like access in the one password uh plugin or whatever we're going to call it uh to secure notes and credit cards and things like that sometimes you know i don't need it to be there to fill in a password for me i just need it there to access data for me. You know, I was on the phone with the health insurance company. I needed my daughter's social security number and I could get it very easily just with the plugin. I didn't have to go to the application. I like that. Um, another one that I use, I think it's one that we both use is Grammarly. Grammarly is a tool. Um, it's free for some basic use and then you can uh, add a subscription to it. Uh, it is like a spell and spell checker and grammar checker on steroids that will allow you, that will plug into their database and allow you to check for things like 
um, improper grammar, misspellings, commonly confused words, plagiarism. It has a plagiarism detector. So you can, you know, run your, your kids' terms papers through this to make sure that they didn't just copy and paste it off Wikipedia. Uh, it can do all kinds of things. And the way that it does it um, primarily is it works uh, through through a web plugin. And so it will check especially um, anything that you're typing on any web form, form. So if you're using it in Gmail or if you're using it on any kind of web form, it will um, it will plug in with that. They do have a separate app. But most of my use of Grammarly is is on the web. Yeah, it feels to me like uh, lately Grammarly is getting a lot of uh, coverage on the Mac Power users because we, I, you and I are both subscribers to it. I, it. I have historically disliked grammar checkers. I remember when they first put it in Microsoft Word and it was just terrible. But the uh, this is good. And, and when you have a paid account, it actually keeps tracks of words you use repeatedly across all of your writing, which is really nice. And uh, uh, the plugin on the uh, on Safari works great. Um, it can apply to anything. You know, anytime you're filling anything on a web form, you'll see those magic red lines that help you not look like a silly person uh, if you go ahead and click on it and make your changes. So it's more than just a plugin. It's also an app and a website, a website, but the, the plugin is definitely worth installing if you go all the way with it. Um, one that I like is ghostery. And this is one that helps you avoid a lot of tracking on the internet. It's got the little kind of uh, Pac-Man style ghost icon on it. And, you know, this stuff, there's some controversy surrounding how much you let people track you. Are you screwing up the advertising industry? Blah, blah, blah. But the fact is some of these websites have gotten very sophisticated and kind of like, uh, kind of creepy about how how well they track you and i like having a couple tools available to me with the ghostery um, plugin installed you can actually whitelist a particular website um, i've got it working so it actually gives me a list when i go to a new website showing me all the various trackers that are being used against me and i can have the ability to enable or disable them uh, at will it's very easy to use and it makes the web experience better in my opinion you know, i mean you want to talk about making your web uh, browser run faster who cares about what browser you use uh, turn off some of this tracking stuff and you'll see a difference uh, i like ghostery because i like that you can have very granular control over over what you track i have found that some websites don't function well if you turn off all the trackers so i've learned which ones i can go in and turn off and turn back on again and and still have um, you know, things work the way that I want. I, Ghostery is not necessarily, it's not an ad blocker. It does not block ads, but what it does is a tracker blocker. Yeah, that's a better way. I, I Thank you. Yeah. It, so let's just, you know, about what it does. And so I think it's important that you go in and you know what it does and you and you tweak it. I I would say if you're only going to install one one of these types of things, um, ghostery is, is probably the one to do, but also be aware of it and, and be aware. Like I found like particularly some shopping sites sometimes don't work completely if you have just everything turned off in ghostery. So I've, I've had to be careful to, to go in from time to time and, and, and tweak some of those settings or to whitelist certain trackers on, on certain sites. Yeah. I had an experience with one, one, one of my utilities, I was trying to log into their website and um, manage my account, and I was having all sorts of problems. And uh, then it occurred to me after like five minutes, so I, I whitelisted the site with Ghostery, and then it worked fine. So occasionally you will run into websites that uh, don't seem to work, and if you don't 
connect the dots, um, you'll get angry at your internet and you won't know why. It's but it's it's the plugin. Switching to ad blocking though. I started talking about tracking. I'll switch over to ad blocking. What do you use for that? Um, I've gone back and forth. Right now, I'm using AdBlock Plus, and it it seems to to work well. It's blocked over almost seventeen thousand ads in total since I've had it installed. So that seems to to work well. Um, I like it because it does have um some some settings that you you can tweak, such as to allow some non intrusive advertising. Um, they've got what they call an easy list that you can you can update that it will update its own or you can add your own filters or or whitelist certain domains more and more we're seeing um websites that are throwing up anti ad blocker blockers which I mean I'm going to have to go find another extension to block the anti ad blocker blockers <laughs> but um but you know I've I've I I have such mixed feelings and we've talked about this before and I don't want to go down too far of a tangent I I on one hand, I understand that, you know, we we make up a, a product that is that is sponsor driven and that without the sponsors, we wouldn't be able to make this product. And I understand that a lot of websites rely on advertisement and they make a product that is sponsorship driven. But I feel like there has to be a happy medium, because if if the ads just get so bad and become so intrusive that it's, you know, it's there, there's just got to be some happy middle ground you know maybe i'm being a sucker but i I haven't run an ad blocker in a long time on i mean mean, there's some built-in stuff in safari which is an ad blocker which we didn't really talk about no it's a tracker blocker safari doesn't block okay well i thought that safari was doing some ad blocking as well safari blocks cross-site tracking okay well either way i have not run a dedicated ad blocker on my mac for a while and occasionally i do run into kind of what i call whack-a-mole websites and, you know, based on the old ad where they had literally a whack-a-mole across your screen. But the I don't see that too often. And I'm kind of picky about what websites I go to. And I've kind of got the practice now. If I go to a website and they, they really are just taking advantage of me with too many ads and, you know, the ones that block the whole screen and then make me click a box to get out of the ad, I just don't go back to those websites. And I've just decided that's the way I'm going to deal with it. And it really hasn't been that bad. Yeah, vote vote with your page views. That's a good way to handle it. What else are you using? All right. Um, I still, and this may be one that goes soon, I still have the Instapaper um, clipper. Or what's, what are we calling it? Um, Read it later. It's not a, yeah, I, well, Instapaper button is still installed because I still use it enough that I have the Instapaper button. But we've had that whole conversation already, so. Uh, yeah, I see. And outline. you also are still using Evernote. Yes, I've been, you know, everybody wants to run away from Evernote, but I I still use Evernote. I've still yet to find um, a service that does everything that I I want it to do as well as Evernote does. And I use the Evernote Clipper still pretty regularly because it gives me the ability to clip out portions of websites or to clip out just the reader view of websites. So that's a great way for me to save information um, to websites. Yeah, the the way I do that is um, I'm Apple Notes has has been the place I've been putting stuff like that. And Apple Notes, that's another reason to use Safari. I mean, it's got, you know, the extensions built in and especially on iOS, it's very easy to save stuff to Apple Notes with from Safari. Um, I'll tell you one that I've added. I I don't like to have a lot of extensions and I've already told you almost all of them I run, except there's one additional one. And I found this through setup, you know, the um, that 
the, you know, kind of Netflix for apps service. Right. From Mac Paul. Yeah. The same guys that sponsored our meetup and very nicely. They thank you. Uh, but so, so I'm a setup subscriber and, uh, you know, there's some stuff in there, you know, the Ulysses and the apps that you, you, you sign up for, you know, but then the nice advantage of that is you find additional little apps that you never would have thought. And one that I got through that service is called Downey. D-O-W-N-I-E. And you can also buy it. You don't have to sign up for setup if you just want to buy it. Uh, but the uh, the thing I like about it is I've been, you know, I use YouTube uh, quite a bit. And I find that uh, sometimes I want to download a YouTube video for offline watching later. And, um, uh, you know, because uh, the nerdy saxophone player in me wants to watch a video and kind of take it apart when I'm playing my sax. So I, uh, I use Downy. It's just a little plug in. You go to a, a YouTube video and you click the button and it downloads the video in a nice format to your downloads folder. And that's all it does. But I really like it. Um, a couple of others that were mentioned in the uh, Facebook group that I wanted to, to talk about a little bit. Honey is one that you may have heard of. This is one that I actually experimented a little bit, but I will tell you that I personally uninstalled it after playing with it for a little while. Um, I, and I don't know that Honey does this, but I want to be a, just kind of put this on your radar that the more things and the more, I mean, we go out of our way to block all of these these trackers with our, our ghostery and our ad block. But be, be aware that as you start installing utilities, installing extensions, you, you may just be giving people ways to track you as well too. And I kind of felt that that this might might have been a thing that I was doing here. But what Honey is, is Honey is a service that will go out particularly on shopping sites in particular and, and try to either help you plug in coupon codes or tell you if you're getting the best deal. And on Amazon, it will give you the price history of something, tell you if a price has dropped recently or show you the historical cost of something. And those were nice features to have sometimes. But I will tell you, I never actually had in the time that I used it, honey, find me a coupon code, you know, that worked for a site that I couldn't already find myself. Or, you know, the idea being that if you went on a site that honey would automatically plug in the best coupon code for you, I never actually had that happen. I've always had better luck just going out and, you know, Googling for, you know, whatever coupon code and being able to plug those in myself. So I experimented with honey for about a month and a half and then ultimately just got rid of it. Do you have... Any of those do you ever try? No, no, not really. I'm, I'm, you know, I, because it, for so long, those plugins were kind of a nightmare. I haven't been particularly adventurous with, with installing them. They're usually from developers that I know and trust, and I'm happy with the stuff they do. Um, another one is called the Camelizer. Now I'm a big fan of Camel, Camel, Camel. In fact, I've lost a lot of money because of Camel, Camel, Camel. Uh, Camel, Camel, Camel is the Amazon price tracker. And what it will allow you to do is to track prices on Amazon. And until I was researching for the show, I did not know that Camel, Camel, Camel had a um, extension that would work on Safari. I always thought it would work in other browsers, but not Safari. So they do. Um, I have not installed their Safari extension uh, other than to test it. Um, but it's not, it's just, it, it, I don't need that all the time. It's, it's one of those things that if I'm interested enough about it, I'll go to camel, camel, camel and track it. But, um, if you're buying on Safari all the time or, um, uh, Amazon with Safari all the time, you might want to install their extension, but it will do things like track the price history. And then you can even set up email alerts for when something hits a certain price that you'll buy it. Like I've already, I've got a couple ideas in mind of, of gifts that I'm buying for people for upcoming birthdays later this summer. And so I've already set my camel, camel, camel alerts for those things. The all-seeing eye of Katie Floyd is on the product. I've got it. I'm watching it. 
Yeah, that works though. I mean, you always tell me about the deals you get by doing that. I wish I was more deliberate, but I'm more of a, when I shop, I'm like, okay, I'll just buy it now. And I, I don't. Well, so I had it, I had it work against me the other day. Um, oh, we'll talk about this on a future show, but I bought an Amazon Echo Spot. Okay. This is completely off topic. I had been watching it. I had been thinking about it. And the the thing about this is we'll talk about this on a future MPU Plus, but I wanted to clean up my bedside table and I wanted to get rid of a bunch of stuff. So I consolidated by buying an Amazon Echo Spot. And short version, I'm very, very happy with it. And we'll talk about it more on a future MPU Plus. But I had a camel, camel, camel price alert for it. And um, it hit. It was like 20% off one day. And I sat there and I'm like looking at it. I'm like, do I want to buy it? 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 I actually had it in my cart to buy. And then I fell asleep without buying it. Okay. Were you at your computer or? No, I just put it in my cart and I was going to think about it. I I had this vision of your your forehead (laughs) landing on the space bar. No, no, that didn't happen. I put it in my cart and I was just going to think about it. And I went to bed that night and I didn't buy it. And I woke up the next morning and I was like, okay, I'm going to buy the Amazon Echo Spot. And by that time, it was a one-day sale and it was already done. Yeah, but it's Amazon. It'll be on sale again. Yeah, I know, but I already bought it. Any other uh, plugins we need to talk about? Yes. Um, one one more big one. Two things I want to talk about. Um, Facebook container. And this is, you know, maybe one reason to to buy Firefox. Everybody right now is very anti-Facebook. Um, and all this, probably rightly so. Uh, but there's a lot of uproar about Facebook. There is an extension right now for Firefox only, maybe it will expand, called Facebook Container, that will allow you to contain all of your Facebook activity um, and kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say shoebox it, but that's not quite the right right word, you know. Keep it all neatly contained so that that all the Facebook yuckiness does not expand outside. How's that for uh, explaining it? (laughs) I I don't know if it's worth switching browsers for, (laughs) but, you know, who knows? I did a thing on Max Sparky a week or two ago, uh, three things you can do to increase your Facebook privacy. I saw that and I did all those things. I'm not a, um, you know, I'm not a Facebook power user, but I'll go ahead and add this to the show notes. But the, uh, it's just the setting, the privacy settings in Facebook actually are better than they used to be. Cause I remember in the past, one of the reasons I hated Facebook is it's like just trying to find the settings to make changes was actually not that easy. Now they've done a good job of consolidating them. Just they've, turned them all off basically it seems like uh but I, I went through and picked a few that you can uh you help yourself out with on that and so i will tell people it is your fault now that um if this that or if this then that rule now no longer um auto shares are uh our new podcast entries to our facebook page yeah that could, actually i left the url stuff on so did it did it stop working yep because i i turned off all the application support for facebook well there you go sorry if, and if this, then that was the one that I liked, but I was like, nope, sorry, it's all or nothing. Y'all got to die. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love it when the Southern comes out of Katie once in a while. It's in there. <laughs> y'all got to die? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I said you all got to die. No, okay. No, no, they, y'all got to die. Yeah, Bye. Never change, Katie Floyd. Never change. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by MacPaw, makers of Clean My Mac 3. Show your Mac a little bit of love by heading over to macpaw.com slash MPU now to get 20% off. 
So Clean My Mac is the amazing all-in-one utility that will help speed up your macOS performance with maintenance scripts and more. It can remove temporary items, optimize your system library so that your Mac runs more smoothly, and it just feels better to use. On average, Clean My Mac removes up to 74 gigs of junk on a typical Mac. This could be anything from system junks, pieces of old apps, outdated broken items, and more. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff living in your Mac that you just don't need anymore that is probably slowing things down. Now, I've been using Clean My Mac for years. It's the utility that I trust on my Macs, and I've installed it on Macs of friends and family members as well. Now, please don't confuse Clean My Mac with other products that have given these types of utilities a bad name. Clean My Mac is the real deal. In addition to helping you run your maintenance scripts, Clean My Mac can help you completely uninstall pieces of programs that you may have forgotten of, remove extensions, securely delete files, find and remove large and old files that you may have forgotten of, clean up your iTunes library, clear out old mail detachments that you don't need, clear out cruft from your photo library and your music libraries, and clear out all of your system junk, including some of those unused language localizations that are taking up a ton of space. It's an all-purpose utility that will not only help your Mac run smoother, but can also save you valuable space, which in the age of SSDs is critically important. And Clean My Mac has a great deal for Mac Power users listeners. You can show your Mac a little bit of love by heading over to macpaw.com slash MPU and get 20% off. Again, that's macpaw.com slash MPU for a generous 20% discount. The folks over at MacPaw have always been a great friend to the Mac Power users listeners, and they're continuing with this exclusive discount. So head on over, clean your Mac up today, and thanks to our friends at MacPaw for their continued support of Mac Power users. You know, we talked about the plugins. We didn't really talk about bookmarklets. Uh, those are little bits of code that run in a bookmark. Uh, it's, you know, and some people are very much against this stuff. They feel like it, it, talk about a vector into your computer is, you know, you're going to run somebody's code in a bookmark. That can be very dangerous, I would assume. But but it, there's, also, there's also parts of it that can be good. And working with... It's just some JavaScript. It's fine. Well, I mean, okay. You, you want to stick with that? <laughs> no, I'm just being whatever. <laughs> but they, if it's a developer you trust and know, um, there are some good reasons to run them. Like Katie mentioned earlier, we have a bookmark that we use for Mac Power users where when we're talking during the show, we can just click a button in the bookmark bar and it saves that to the show notes. So it's a nice way to get easy stuff to show notes. And that's code that was, you know, run at uh, Relay that somebody smart there put together for us. So uh, there, there's ways you can do it. Um, but there's some others that are not necessarily from Relay FM, but from other places. Uh, Katie mentioned Camel, Camel, Camel. That's that's a bookmarklet that Katie uses all the time. Sometimes, uh you know, you you miss it, Katie, because you fell asleep. At Sometimes your I fall asleep. Yes. <laughs> uh, Amazon has one that allows you to add things to your wish list. That's another good one. Um, and some of these other third party services have them as well. Like Instapaper has always had a bookmarklet. I think even before they had a plugin, they had a bookmarklet. And I would also say, um, you know, I was joking, but not really joking about how we're going to need Bartender now for extensions and plugs ins because it's easy to get, you know, it's easy to get a lot of these. Bookmarklets are a good way to reduce your plugins. You know, they don't cost you anything, they're not taking up any resources or time. Um, so if you have things, for example, like Instapaper that you use occasionally, in fact, I'm about to get rid of the Instapaper extension and just replace it with the bookmark it that you use occasionally, but still still want to use, 
you know, you could replace it with a bookmarklet as opposed to the extension. Now, you're probably not going to get all the features, but for me, the type of use that I have, it's fine. And, and because it's JavaScript, it will work on iOS as well. So if you have a bookmarklet that saves something Instapaper on your Mac and you go over to your iPad, it'll work just the same there. And I guess just so I want to make sure we got the point across, these do not appear as plugins do on the on the toolbar, they actually appear in the bookmark bar because they're bookmarklets. Hence the name. But they but they work across, you know, like if you're syncing your bookmarks across, it works. If you're using Chrome, it would work the same way. Well, and one of the beauties of this and one of the, I think, the original intents of when these were created is they work on iOS because extensions don't work on iOS right now as we record this. Uh, I don't have that many favorite bookmarklets. I use the the one for our show generation. I I also have Camel, Camel, Camel. I'm not as aggressive with it as Katie is, but I I, I think I should be. I feel like I'm costing myself money by not uh, tracking things and figuring it out sooner. Um, but the uh, but there's a few. If there's one that we missed, let us know. We'd happy to hear it. Hear about it. Maybe share it on the feedback show. What about plugins on iOS? Do you do any of that stuff? Well, there there are fewer plugins um, that you can use on iOS. In fact, Apple has to kind of build in plugin support for iOS. So the way that you can use plugins or, or add-ons, I, I think probably add-ons is a better word for iOS, is they have to be supported in a couple of different ways. Um, Apple has specifically brought support for content blockers on iOS. So um, Apple can either specifically support it which they have for content blockers. So you'll find a ton of content blockers on iOS. I will tell you the one that got the most votes in the Facebook group for content blockers on iOS was one blocker. I think that's kind of accepted as the one one to get. Yeah, that people use. Uh, Crystal is another one that I've, I've seen people talk about quite a bit. Um, the other thing is to, to share and to access things through an extension. So like a share sheet extension or, um, you know, one password has an extension. Evernote has an extension. You can share things from your web browser with extensions. You can do, you know, workflowy things with with extensions. But uh, they don't they don't have per se um I'm sorry, you can access those things through the share sheet. They don't have extension support. You can do extension type things through the share sheet, through bookmarklets, or in the rare instances where Apple has built in actual support for something. Since we're talking about browsers, can I just get on the soapbox for a VPN for a minute? Have I done that too much on this show? I, I don't know. No, but you know, the bears got bought. Oh, did they? Mm-hmm. Who owns, who owns them now? Oh, uh, yeah. No, I think it's uh, McAfee. McAfee bought Tunnel Bear. Okay. Yeah. Well, good for them. Hopefully they got a lot of money. But <laughs> the, um, so, so VPNs are, the reason when I'm, I, I'm always uh, pitching for VPNs is uh, for a lot of us, especially that work on the road, we go into places like Starbucks where they have free Wi-Fi and sometimes you use it. Sometimes you don't. I mean, I think if you've got a good enough data plan on your iOS devices, you could actually just not bother with it and just go straight through your cellular connection. But you know, that's not everybody. And, um, and it is nice being able to use Wi-Fi. If you've got a Mac, you don't even have a choice. You know, I guess you could uh, tether to your device and then go through your, um, like if you tether to your iPhone, you can go through your cellular. That's another way. But like I said, uh, the Wi-Fi, often there's a, a good reason to use the free Wi-Fi or the public Wi-Fi. Hotels, Starbucks, you know, the usual airports, the usual places. 
but the problem is that's a, that's a very I guess what you call leaky Wi-Fi. You know, the idea is um, you're sending data out to their router, which is then getting you onto the internet, and uh, maybe they're not trustworthy. Maybe there's someone else in the restaurant with you that's not trustworthy. That's kind of sniffing packets, and if they manage to pick up your email credentials or something like that in the process, they can do a lot of damage to you. So I think it's a really good idea to try and protect yourself when you're on that Wi-Fi. And the best way to do that is with a VPN. Uh, a VPN gives you a secure data through the VPN servers. So someone trying to, to get your data in the Starbucks won't be able to get it. So it's just a, a method of security. There are several of the services out there. Tunnel Bear used to be a sponsor on a show. We used them for a while. About a year ago, I signed up for Encrypt.me, which, uh, before, what was the name before Encrypt.me? It was... Um, Cloak. Cloak, yes, Cloak. And, but they changed their name in the last year. And it's a great service I like. It's, I believe, I, I think I paid 100 bucks for it, and I have unlimited use for a year. Uh, but you can buy a day pass or a week pass. So if you're just going to, like, if you just go on a trip for one week every year or something, you don't need to buy a whole year's worth. But get one of these apps installed uh, from a trustworthy company like Encrypt.me, and go ahead and buy yourself that pass when you are going to be using the public Wi-Fi. And, you know, this is, I think, part and parcel of using the Internet. So that's why I wanted to talk about it in today's show. I can report back that I, I don't use it every day. Uh, I don't use it on my home Wi-Fi, obviously. I don't use it. You know, there's, there's certain places where I don't need to worry about it. But uh, I'm out in public enough. I'm in courthouses and Starbucks coffees and airports and places enough where I do need, have a use for the Wi-Fi that if I didn't have Encrypt on me, I'd feel really exposed. And uh, so much so that when my year, year expired, I, I paid it for another year without thinking twice. You know, if you are a um, uh, what what is it the uh, our our router Eros? If you have Eero, they um, they in their Eero Plus system, it they will give you a um a subscription to encrypt on me. Okay, so what you're telling me is I really blew it when I renewed because <laughs> I have <laughs> all right. Uh, Katie, why didn't I call you? Why didn't I call you? Could've. You could, and you know what's also included in that one password. Yeah which I also pay for. Okay. There you go. Maybe you should look at that. Wow. I'm so generous. <laughs> All right. I'm going to look into that and see if there's some way or, I can. Or, like... you know, you could, you could read our Facebook group because there was a post on that not long ago. Yeah. You know, there was, and I just totally slipped my mind, but maybe I can fix that. But, uh, all right. So don't, uh, don't be dumb like me, but at the same time, do look into a VPN service because it is so worth it. Any other tips? Um, about browsing and web browsers and, and those types of things. Uh, don't run Chrome and Safari at the same time with 30 tabs. That's I think I really think we need to set up a workflow episode with Daisy. I, I think there's more to this than than, you know, you're just judging and we need to get to the bottom of it. She can explain to you why she ha keeps so many uh, icons on her desk that they actually overlap each other. I'd like to hear that one explained too. I think we've got great <laughs> fodder for a workflow <laughs> <Yeah>. show. <laughs> All right. How about you, Katie? Any final tips? You know, I, I think we've uh, I think we've done a done a pretty good job, pretty good job covering it all. So, um, of course, continue this discussion in the Facebook group, and uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, th thanks for you know, or you can always get back to us. The show is at Mac Power Users. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Max Sparky on Twitter. Uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for this episode: Clean My Mac, Audible, One Password, and Omni. 
And uh, we'll talk more next time.